Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're asking the question, is crypto going extinct with Stacey Marie Ishmael? That's right, Joel. We are diving into cryptocurrencies today because guess what? Uh, there's a very good chance that if you're listening, your crypto holdings are worth much less <laughs> and you might be a little concerned. Um, and if so, it turns out you're not alone because a recent bank rate survey showed that only about 30% of millennials are comfortable investing in crypto today, which is down from 50% about a year ago. There's just not as much confidence in crypto uh, as there used to be. And so we're excited to be joined by Stacy Marie Ishmael. Uh, for years, Stacy she used to work at the Financial Times, where she started the, the blog Alphaville. She's worked as a senior editor at Apple, and now she's a writer and podcaster over at Bloomberg, where like, basically she eats and drinks crypto every <laughs> single day. Uh, so Stacy, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I wouldn't say that crypto is like super p- delicious as a meal. Just as <laughs> I was going I, I was wondering, yeah, bacon, eggs, and a side of crypto is like that. That sounds like a nice <laughs> breakfast, and, and well balanced, probably too. <laughs> uh, well, hey, the first question we ask everybody that comes on the show, Stacy, is we want to know what they splurge on. Matt and I, we splurge on beer. We already showed you ours before we started recording. It's uh, an expensive, like twenty dollar bottle of craft beer that we're enjoying on today's episode, and but, very much looking forward to talking about this <laughs> one at the end. Yeah. Well, and so. We, we splurge on that while we're saving and investing well for the future. So yeah, what's that splurge for you? What do you like to spend money on where people might think you're, you're a little crazy for, for doing it? Fountain pens. Oh, oh, very nice. Yeah, It's basically like the opposite of cryptocurrency. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is the most uh, physical, thing. tangible? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Was this something you've always been into or was it because you needed something to juxtapose against uh, cryptocurrencies and all the digital stuff that you're into? Oh, I've always been into it. So I'm left-handed and uh, a curse of being left-handed is you find that most pens don't work for you. And so I kind of fell down this path relatively early on of trying to find the perfect pen and trying to find, you know, something that would 
make my handwriting look a little bit less like chicken scratches. And somebody <laughs> was like, have you heard of fountain pens? I was like, no, but I'm going to find out everything there is to know. And then I found out how expensive these can get. Oh, <laughs> and man. Was, and it was a whole thing. So Matt and I, we have a mutual friend who got oh. so into fountain pens. He and I didn't, I, I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm glad that you're, that, that you're interested in this. And he would talk about it occasionally, show off his pens. But he went to... A physical conference. Of I have nerds. really wanted to go to those. Okay. <laughs> he had a really good time, so I think it would be worth the time and yeah. energy that it would take for you to get. <laughs> get I was like, I just pen cons. I didn't know that was a thing. But it's a whole it thing. Is. Yeah. Okay, so uh, can I ask what is the most expensive pen that you own? Stays cool. <laughs> it's okay. No you judgment. Can ask. You can ask. Um, the most expensive pen that I own is not the most expensive pen that I want, but. Oh, I would say that I have spent at least, there was one pen in particular that cost me more than $500. Okay. Ooh. All right. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to just, I mean, I've never held a pen like that before. So it is I'm, gorgeous. It writes beautifully. I, it's perfectly balanced. It, it is a work of art. A work okay. Of, yeah, that's exactly. I, I have to follow up saying. with this then. So how often are you writing letters to people? Because I would think if this is a splurge, like you don't want to get these pens just so you can. You're not looking. Just yeah, staring look, at them. Look at them, put them on the wall or something like that. Like, are you, are you often writing letters uh, like old school style to friends yeah, and family members? With, I even make wax seals for them. Oh, oh that's, shut up. That's oh, cool. that is awesome. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> Can you send us a letter? We will Send we'll, me your we'll, mailing address. We'll give you our uh, our mailing address. Yeah. Like put us on your your Christmas card Deal. list, whatever whatever <laughs> holiday card you send out. We would love to to be on the receiving end of that beautiful writing. Well, I love that it's coming back to and and that you're helping bring it back because it's it's one of the like it, there's not much better than something handwritten from somebody to share to show that like you 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 were thoughtful about yeah. you, you care about them. So, I I think it's cool. I think it's super cool as well. Thanks for uh, for sharing that Stacy. My pleasure. Uh, so your background, right? Like you've lived, you've gone to school all over the world. Just generally speaking, how has uh, spending just a significant amount of time, you know, on a, on a few different continents, how's that impacted your perspective uh, when it comes to just economic matters that we're dealing with today? I think I've been very fortunate to be able to live what it feels like to not just like think about things like foreign exchange in the abstract, but actually go from one country to another where, you know, all of my savings were in the Trinidad and Tobago dollar and I was paying bills in the the British pound sterling or to experience what it's like to have in one place what would be considered kind of like a very comfortable standard of living that costs XYZ amount and then you move to say San Francisco <laughs> where <laughs> for exactly the same amount in rent you essentially live in a closet with no window um, and it's, it's really made me appreciate how important having an, a range of understandings of local contexts is as a, as a reporter as an, and as an editor. Okay. Talk, talk to me. Talk to me about your how you got interested in cryptocurrency because, yeah, you're at the point you host a daily podcast about it. Like Matt <laughs> said in the beginning, you eat and breathe uh, crypto. And so, like, what what got you to this point where Stacy Marie Ishmael is now like uh, that enthusiastic, that interested in the space where you, you hook, line, and sinker? That's your day job now. This is a reasonable question, and it comes from, I think, the confluence of several of my interests. So when I started as a finance reporter, a financial journalist, I was responsible for uh, covering structured finance, for covering things like derivatives, for covering things that were called credit default swaps. Um, I was looking at mortgage-backed securities, you know, all the things that in 2008 seemed like a good idea until they stopped seeming <laughs> like a good idea. Uh-huh. And so I've been, I've always been interested in like, what is the nerdiest possible corner of a financial market and how can I make that interesting and accessible to people other than me and my immediate editors? And I've always also been the kind of person who is super interested in technology. Like I've worked at large and small technology companies. I was definitely the friend that would build your website. I was nice. definitely the friend mm -hmm. that you'd be like, I can't get my printer to work, but like try this. And, you know, crypto is essentially the confluence of risk pricing, financial arbitrage and speculation and interesting underlying technology smushed together. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so, I mean, on that note, can you maybe just give us a brief cryptocurrency history or just like an evolution? And obviously there's a lot to cover, but cover and kind of like go over the, the aspects of crypto that you think are most important uh, given where we are uh, with crypto today. So... 
in a historical context, the main thing to understand is that crypto, which started as Bitcoin, started as a rejection of traditional banking, started as a rejection of the idea that governments should have a say in your ability to transact with somebody else, and started as a rejection of the idea that you should have to trust big centralized agencies like central banks or banks in general to be an intermediary in those same types of transactions. And this was all written out in a a relatively short white paper about 13 years ago that was the origins of Bitcoin. And it was based on, you know, like some some political theory, some philosophy, some mathematical proofs, some conspiracy theory. Ta-da, you've got a Bitcoin white paper. (laughs) And since then, what it has evolved into is absolutely for a lot of people, a kind of an ideological expression of other deeply held beliefs Mm. that they might have. For some people, it's a means of transacting. For some people, it's a means of, you know, kind of speculating and generating some kind of financial yield. And for other people, it's just like an interesting problem to be solved. They're like, oh, this this is a cool piece of technology. What, What can I build on top of this? Yeah, so it seems like there's definitely some, when you mentioned political elements, there's certainly some like libertari- libertarian-leaning elements, right, in a lot of the crypto space. And and, and we, when you take a look, step back and you look at maybe decentralized finance as a whole, um, I guess, what what do you think, what, what makes it worth striving for? Or what do these people, the people who are who are crypto enthusiast, enthusiasts, what, what, what makes them think that decentralized finance is worth striving for? I guess... To our listener, the average American, right? Uh, it, f- it feels like the current system works decently well. Sure, the banks, the credit card companies, they make lots of money <laughs> on every <laughs> transaction that we make. But, you know, the system, it meets our needs pretty well and, and it seems to hold up. So why in the world do we need DeFi in our lives? Well, if let's jump back to 2000 and, you know, the, the sort of late... 2000s, early 2010s, when for a lot of people, particularly people in the United States, they wouldn't say that the financial system was working particularly well. There were tons of people that had lost their homes to mortgage foreclosure. There were people who had lost their savings to bank failures. There were people who were looking at those same banks that they were saying, hey, sorry, we we can't pay you back. We're out of money. Their CEOs were like flying around on private jets. Like there was this real Mm. perception on both ends of the political spectrum that, you know, banks, the the financial system was not serving the quote-unquote average American. And a lot of the the belief system of crypto is, well, reject that system that wasn't serving you and let's create a different one that is based on much more egalitarian principles. And that idea of we don't need to rely on somebody else who is just like looking to monetize us to, you know, to be able to participate in a financial system was really powerful for a lot of people and remains really powerful for a lot of people, even though a lot of people are doing just fine (laughs) and are not facing foreclosure and actually are using banks to store their considerable assets that they may have generated from Bitcoin or otherwise. Hmm. You know, this narrative, the story, the white paper behind crypto, like, or Bitcoin specifically, like it's, it's been like like you said it's been around for a while but i think a lot of folks have kind of jumped onto it within the recent years um do you think that that story that narrative combined with then what we experienced with the pandemic right like the pandemic coupled with stimmy checks do you think all those things combined contributed to the to the rise and the fall that that we've seen cryptocurrencies endure Absolutely. So I have a, um, my friends will have heard me say this, so if any of them are listening, they're about to roll their eyes, but I have, <laughs> I have a unified theory of like video games, meme stocks, crypto, Reddit, which <laughs> is that all of these things kind of tapped into a desire to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. They tapped into the fact that a lot of people were just spending a lot of time staring at computer screens because mm-hmm. they couldn't go outside. And that for various reasons, some folks had like a, an above average amount of disposable income. And so, you know, whether it was people suddenly spending a bunch of money playing video games or getting aggressively into online poker in the states where that's allowed or, you know, trying to persuade everybody that buying GameStop is a good idea or shares in GameStop was a good idea. It, it was the sort of the same fuel. Everything was fueled by very similar things. And none of those things really have to do with that sense of, you know, pure libertarianism. None of that necessarily requires you to have read a white paper. It's just a sense of, oh, this 
coin that looks like a Shiba Inu that Elon Musk is talking about. That seems fun. And I need fun. And I'm going to do something like that. And, you know, so there was, it is impossible to separate some of the price increases of the past two years with the, the overarching macro reality of all of these other things that were happening at the same time. It's, it's almost like it was just in the right place at the right time. Exactly. Like it it, it kind of makes me wonder if cryptocurrencies didn't exist. Well, what would we have turned to, right? Like <laughs> just as a world, uh, in, in particular here in the U.S., like what <laughs> what would all of those individuals have done instead of dumping that money into crypto? As, as physical communities are kind of breaking down and you can't spend time yeah. with people that you're close to in the ways that you're used to, mm-hmm. it's uh, the, the cryptocurrencies kind of filled a void. Yeah, in you turned to something. Yeah, I don't know they, what the answer is. They absolutely did. And it's... You know, whether you look at subreddits like our cryptocurrency, which is one of the largest on Reddit, or, you know, Discord, which I tend to describe as like Slack for video games. There were so many people in there that in between sharing trading tips or whatever they were talking about, were just like talking about their lives and, you know, just kind of sharing experiences and finding community in a way that also happened to be like, oh, by the way, I'm buying this thing. It's going to the moon. You should get in on that as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, OK, so I guess there, but there are more and more naysayers in the crypto space now mm-hmm. or, or, or like, you know, they, they talk about crypto, even though they're not they're not in on, on the game. And, and Jamie Dimon, the CEO of Chase, he recently <laughs> he called crypto. I mean, this I mean, I'm sure this made ripples in that Reddit community. Right. He he called crypto a decentralized Ponzi scheme. And he's he's not the only one who's kind of a Debbie Downer in this regard. But it, it certainly feels like, you know, anyone like Matt said at the beginning who invested some of their money around Super Bowl time earlier this year, like they might feel the same way as he does. So I don't know how how has the crypto community responded to big time players? Like, are they, is he like the arch nemesis now of the crypto community? <laughs> there are so many enemies in crypto, like Jamie Dimon, <laughs> like some, you know, uh, the, it's like, you know, those murder boards where there's just a bunch of people and they're connected by red string. Like some dude somewhere definitely has like Jamie Diamond's face as well as some other oh, sure. back CEOs on a murder board somewhere. Um, well, I'll say a couple of things. One is it is very much the case that a lot of people bought into crypto because prices were hitting all time highs. And there was this this you know legit FOMO, this fear of missing out, this idea of like, wow, all of my friends are suddenly rich on paper. Um, I want to get in on this action, and so and that was before the Super Bowl. For me, the Super Bowl was kind of like the toppiest top of the marketing mm. frenzy. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, if, if like multi-million Matt, dollar ads right. with famous celebrities. Exactly, Matt Damon is telling you to buy something. It's like a strong counter indicator. Um, Otherwise, you're weak. You know, <laughs> are you not brave? You're a sissy. You're, you're definitely you? not brave. Exactly. Yeah. So, but that enthusiasm had been going on for several months. And, you know, for like that September to December period is when you couldn't, if you were a celebrity and you weren't talking about your board ape NFT, like, were you even a celebrity? And, but the reality for a lot of other people who bought into crypto in 2013, 2014, when it was trading in like the low thousands of dollars, is that even though it's down, you know, more than 50% this year, those people are still fine. And so you have this kind of dichotomy emerging in the market of folks who piled in at the top and folks who have been in from the beginning. Mm. And it's sort of a, it's almost like two sides talking past each other because a lot of the folks who piled in at the top, and to be clear, some of the people who piled in at the top were very sophisticated. They were in kind of parlance that I'm sure folks on your show are familiar with be considered like qualified investors, right? They had, Mm -hmm. they had the liquid assets, they had the the background, they had the experience, um, and they made decisions that institutional investors including major hedge funds were also making like this token looks like a smart bet you know hindsight's 2020 and all that stuff so I, I would be very careful not to say that everybody who came in because of the Super Bowl was like didn't know what they were doing people who very much knew what they were doing also made bad bets and bad calculations that's very true good distinction to make Stacey, you know, we're kind of talking about crypto here just kind of widely and broadly. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but after that break, we're going to dive into kind of the, some of the more specific and practical applications that we can see cryptocurrencies impacting our lives directly. We'll get to all of that right after this. Jill, I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about getting your books together with uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000 
25 and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. No matter how hard of a worker you are, you probably like to kick back, relax, and just chill every now and then. But if you're an investor, that's the last thing you want your money to be doing. You want it to be out there working hard and kicking butt. That's exactly what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help it do. Betterment's automated technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help maximize returns. We're talking tools like diversified expert-built portfolios of low-cost ETFs. Keeping those expense ratios low is key to seeing your investments compound over the years and decades. A high-yield cash account where your money can earn 11 times the national average. Listeners know that they need to have an emergency fund set aside for those completely unforeseen expenses. A high-yield cash account is the perfect place to park that money in automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. That way, if certain industries are, say, growing like crazy, your portfolio, it stays on track. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. All right, we're back from the break. Still talking with Stacy Marie Ishmael about cryptocurrency. And uh, you know, we covered a lot of history, old history, recent history, just a second ago. But um, obviously, uh, since the Super Bowl time, right? <laughs> since the toppiest of the top, Stacey, we're, we're experiencing a lot of volatility, um, a, a lull in the crypto market, right? And so I guess I'm, I'm curious to hear from you. Like, We've got a lot of history to draw from when it comes to stock market recoveries. But we just, we, you know, we just don't have as much uh, history on the crypto front. So mm-hmm. how have you seen 
seen investing strategies shifting in the face of less data, less information? There's a phrase in crypto that is deployed in a way that's not always helpful um, that's called do your own research. And it's this, it's, you know, you would have seen this at the height of meme stocks as well, but it's just this idea of you should be able to find out and you should be able to, you know, like use Google, use Reddit, use Discord, talk to your financial advisor, whatever, but you should be able to figure this out for yourself. The reality though, and I say this from the vantage point of somebody who works at a, in a newsroom that has access to like the best, fastest, most real time financial data in the world, you can stare at crypto data all day long and not be 100% sure what exactly you're looking at. Because as hmm. you say, you have a relatively short amount of like s- sample right? It's, you know, 13 years is not a long time for a financial asset to be in existence. You have many different types of pricing because one of the things about being decentralized is like you don't necessarily have one single clearing price that everybody agrees on is is the price. It can be quite hard to get certain other kinds of data like volumes, you know, things that if you are uh, like a tradition, a person coming at this from a traditional financial perspective, you're like, how do you assess the fundamentals of Bitcoin? question mark. <laughs> and the the folks on the more skeptical side of the spectrum will say, well, Bitcoin has no fundamentals. And the folks on the more maximalist side of the spectrum shall say the fundamentals don't matter. What matters is like the future and the optimism and the limited supply. And so trying to value this thing like a traditional financial asset is extremely difficult. So what folks have done instead is things like, okay, what is crypto correlated to? And for a decent stretch over the past several months, it was very correlated with like big cap tech stocks. So, you know, whatever Apple or Meta or Amazon were up to, or even Netflix, like that was what you were going to see in Bitcoin. You know, you, mm. if you were to chart Bitcoin versus the fangs for a while, it looked like a single chart. Some people would look at this from the perspective of something that you said earlier. Okay, like nobody has stimmy checks anymore. There's less liquidity in the economy. That means that fewer people are going to have the appetite for riskier assets. We're going to expect that we're going to adjust our price targets downward. But again, those are things that are almost orthogonal to crypto itself that folks are trying to model on top of. Because again, they're just there are very few crypto native inputs that are scalable and available for the average person to analyze. Right. Yeah. As we're trying to find those corollaries, I mean, a lot of folks said that Bitcoin, that it would be this inflation hedge, uh, almost like a like a digital form of gold. Right. And so folks turn to sort of like those safe harbor assets like gold when you're seeing you know the market tank. But obviously, as inflation has been soaring, <laughs> Bitcoin has been crashing along with the market. And yeah, so I mean, I guess why is it that you think Bitcoin hasn't lived up to its billing? Is it just an improper comparison to something like gold or to something like some of the top stocks? Well, I think it's the difference between like theory and the reality of markets, right? Which is you can have a really good theory and then markets will be like, haha, um, <laughs> like you thought. <laughs> and one mm. of the, but one of the things that is true about crypto is this is a, this is an asset, whether you're thinking about, you know, the big ones like Ethereum and Bitcoin or even the, you know, things like stable coins. But this is an asset that started in retail. It started with people who were interested enough to solve math problems on paper in their bedrooms and then, you know, kind of like upgrade their, their PCs versus starting from, you know, fully formed from the minds of some person at Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan or wherever. And retail investors are much less predictable than right. your average institutional <laughs> investor and much less likely to be engaging in trillion dollar groupthink. Billion dollar groupthink, absolutely. But, you know, generally speaking, the capitalization of, of any one retail investor is way, way smaller. But as institutional investors got into the market, they do the kinds of things that institutional investors do, which is mm. they, they pile into a position. Or, or a series of positions. They allocate their portfolios where they're looking for things that can hedge. So, you know, they want something that's going up while something else is going down and vice versa. And that has this like same making tendency where trades become very crowded and they become identical because you have a bunch of very large entities all moving in the same direction at once. So something that somebody else would argue is supposed to be uncoupled from certain kinds of fundamentals like becomes coupled because people who are prone to big investment bank groupthink are now playing in that space. 
All right, I want to know about like we we've seen problems with wallets and crypto storage and people losing their passwords mm-hmm. and getting locked out and they've got like a deadline in order to figure out what their password was or they're going to lose like a ton of money and um I, so yeah, I, I guess what's the best way for people maybe to go about investing in cryptocurrency? Do, do ETFs solve this problem? Like that's something that's happening outside of the United States. We don't have any uh, crypto approved ETFs here inside the US yet, but is that the future? And is that the best way for people to have some exposure? Or I, I guess there's two different problems. There's one like the the investor wants some sort of exposure, but then there's also that somebody who feels like there's a use case. They want actual crypto in some sort of you know uh, crypto wallet, right? Yeah, I mean, you hit on something really important, which is that the user experience of crypto is challenging. <laughs> uh, you, most people in most countries have figured out paper money. A large percentage of people in countries that you might not have expect have figured out digital money, right? They're like Venmo native or M-Pesum native. They're like, cash, what is cash? I'll Venmo you mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'll you know cash app you or, or whatever those things are. Crypto has not quite reached that same level of user friendliness. You you start from a place of if you forget your password, RIP all your money. <laughs> right? It's it's not like you can call your bank and give them, you know, 19 different forms of identification and your firstborn child and they'd be like, "Okay, we've unlocked your account. Here you go." There's none of that because again, this is a rejection of centralization. Mm-hmm. There's no appeal to a higher authority to say to you. it comes down to you. And frankly, most people are bad at password management. That's true. Uh, it's just not a strength. Preaching to the choir humans. right now. You know? <laughs> so, you know, anything that gets like really intensely built around, make sure you remember this very complicated combination of characters and never forget it is a hurdle. Uh, so I think so that's problem number one. I think problem number two is the way that some folks think about crypto is that as if it's as safe as other kinds of financial assets. You know, like a lot of the most... Um, depressing testimony from people who lost money to entities like Celsius and Voyager has been folks saying, I thought you were a bank and I thought you had FDIC type insurance and I thought I'd be okay. And you, you know, this was marketed to me as a savings product. And so I think there's a misunderstanding of the levels of risk here, Mm. even when you get to products like ETFs, which are supposed to provide more of those traditional looking things. They're still just wrappers on an underlying asset class that's very volatile or on equities exposed to an underlying asset class that is very volatile. Basically, that's why stable coins weren't so stable, <laughs> right? Because at least some of them. Yeah, yeah. right, right, yeah. Because like they get labeled as such, they get wrapped mm-hmm. in. It's in the name. Ex- yeah. Exactly, <laughs> it kind of gets wrapped in that way, gets promoted, gets marketed. The less volatile but, form of cryptocurrency. But it, like you said, some <laughs> of them didn't experience that. But okay, so you're, you're kind of talking about some of the reasons why cryptocurrencies, how they're not actually being used as a currency, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. you're talking about, first of all. It's tough to manage uh, whether or not they're safe. It's not an actual bank. Are there other reasons that we're not seeing countries adopt cryptocurrencies? Well, we've seen two. Right, right. So you got El Salvador, <laughs> right? Like they made it their national uh, exchange. Yeah. Um, but uh, it just doesn't. And the Central African Republic gotcha. is the other one. It, but it doesn't seem like it's, it's getting widely adopted. I'm curious yeah. if there are some other reasons that you think that that's the case. Yeah, I mean, the big one is slowness. And, and this is something that is not like talked about as often it's like you want to send like you want to buy something on a blockchain or you want to send money from one way to another most of the solutions that are available to most people are nowhere near as fast as your average like venmo transaction mm-hmm. there's just a lot of latency built into these networks and there are fees that folks might not expect right it's which is not to say that there are no fees in banking because like every time i get dinged for a wire transfer fee i'm like ah but in every single time you do a transaction in crypto, you you pay some kind of fee to process that transaction. And I remember in like last fall when folks were doing, they were like, oh, we're going to save the world by raising money in crypto. Donate here and we'll send it to good cause of your choosing. And people would be like, great, I want to donate $100. And then on the other end, they'd be like, great, that'll be $50 in fees. Like, Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that, well, that was a calculation you were not expecting because even the world's most aggressive credit card is rarely going to charge you a 50 percent fee on on some kind of donation. And then I think just like a third thing is the inherent volatility of the thing itself. Like one of the key 
expected attributes of something that acts like a currency is that it's a store of value. That at the beginning, middle of end of transaction, this $1 is still going to be worth a dollar. And if you combine like the slowness and the fees that I mentioned, that your by the end of a transaction, your $1 might be worth $2 or it might be worth 20 cents. And that is a degree of instability that not everybody is super comfortable with. Yeah. And, and something else that people aren't comfortable with in the crypto space or more there's more uh more discomfort with these days is is hacking and scam attempts right because uh, yeah. we saw just the, the other day stats came out that more than two billion dollars has been stolen in crypto accounts this year alone and so i, I guess uh some of these some of these places where people buy and store cryptocurrency they're not as secure as maybe uh the the end end user thinks and then they find out that their money has been stolen by hackers i mean how big of a problem is this because it seems like the more the more money that's being ripped from people's hands as they're getting into the space that that creates just a preponderance of issues for adoption of crypto in general this is a problem and it's a problem for all of the reasons you've identified and a few more and one of the things is that a lot of the energy coming into like crypto hacking are non-state or state actors like the Lazarus Group, which is, you know, kind of an infamous North Korea based hacking collective who five years ago might have been ripping people off or attempting to hack into, into like non-crypto things, but there was less money in crypto five years ago. So what you have are these incredibly sophisticated, well-organized actors that are very opportunistic and they're looking for where is there a bunch of money sloshing around and the opportunity to confuse people and make an easy buck as a result of that. And that is a real challenge. And when I say sophisticated, it's, you know, some of my colleagues on the cybersecurity team here at Bloomberg have reported on things like that group will bribe employees at T-Mobile to get them to clone your SIM card, you know, so that they can redirect your two-factor authentication code wow. <laughs> and log into your account. I mean, this is not like your average, like somebody clicked on a spam, spam link in an email mm. thing. Yeah. This is legit incredibly sophisticated attempts that are very hard as an ordinary human being to protect yourself against. So that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is, yeah, there's also just a bunch of like, you click on a spammy link in an email or, you know, somebody loses or had a very weak password on their Instagram account and then their Instagram was taken over and it's a celebrity account. So people are like, oh yeah, why is so-and-so celebrity telling me to buy Dogecoin? I guess I'll buy Dogecoin. But it was in fact somebody who has compromised that celebrity account or, you know, you get an email that looks like your NFT provider and it says, click here for a free NFT and everybody loves free stuff and they <laughs> click on the thing. But the thing is a link to some kind of malware and that malware, you know, connects to a server and that server is like, cool, thank you. We'll take all your actual NFTs and we will make our merry way with it. You know, so I, I don't think that the hacking is necessarily like new. I do think that the the opportunity is so large that a lot of folks who are being like sketchy and nefarious in other areas have turned their attention to crypto. That makes a ton of sense. You're getting hit on both ends. You're getting hit by the folks who are trying the, the less sophisticated spam attacks. Yep. But then you've got, like you said, some of these big players as well. And I think some folks would say that like one of the solutions to this fraud, some of these attempts would be tighter regulation. So can you talk about how you think that type of regulation by the state, how would that affect something like cryptocurrencies? This is one of the hardest possible questions because <laughs> crypto is global, right? So when you're when you're talking about regulation, you're also talking about you have to have some kind of cross-border framework because you can't only regulate Bitcoin in the United States and then have nothing happening in, in Europe because you're gonna wanna you're gonna have people in Paris who wanna send something to people in New York. And then you're gonna have a conflict of regulatory entities. So that's kind of a huge problem. And there are there are many efforts by the folks who are paid to write white papers that are very long about global financial stability and regulation that are attempting to find solutions to this problem. But then you have different kinds of potential regulation. You have regulation at the state level, as you say. So like I live in New York City, the New York Attorney General and others have been very aggressive in saying, okay, crypto companies, if you want to operate here, if you want to have New Yorkers sign up for your stuff, you are going to have to abide by a higher class of disclosure requirements. There's way more paperwork in your future. Get ready. And by the way, if you don't follow up, we will fine you out of existence. Mm. Other states have been like, we're chill. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have no requirements. Do what you 
you will, it's fine. Then you have federal level regulations, right? So you've got the Securities and Exchange Commission, you have the the CFTC um, and others saying, we are going to make sure that at the level of like qualified investors or Kim Kardashian, that (laughs) no one is engaging in behavior that contravene existing laws. Then you've got uh, the legislators, so people who are trying to say, well, I as a congressperson or I as a senator... I'm proposing that we do more stuff with stablecoin and here's my 500 page long bill. Will somebody please remember to vote on this before the midterm elections? So you've got this sort of stew of different kinds of things. And that's leading to a bunch of people in the industry being like, woe is us. There's no regulatory clarity. We don't know how to proceed. And in the meantime, the people who are really suffering are those individual investors who thought this thing was a bank. Yeah, I guess when we're talking about decentralized finance, right? Cryptocurrency is a part of this movement to get away from traditionally regulated ways of doing of doing business, sending money, and does regulation kind of fly in the face of that? Does, does it kind of upend, like toss over to the apple cart, per se? It absolutely does by definition. So it's because the, the, to regulate something, you have to be able to define it. <laughs> you have to be able to say, these are the, this is the jurisdiction that you operate in. There is There are a couple of crypto companies that famously are like, we are not headquartered anywhere. <laughs> no one can regulate us. And regulators are like, um, yeah, we can. No, really, where's your office? <laughs> <It's just laughs> like, we will regulate you in every place that you have an office. Like, good try. Uh, you know, so it's this this idea of statelessness, this idea of being entirely decentralized. There are always people behind these protocols. And those people will say things like, well, you can't regulate software. And the European Union will be like, tell that to Microsoft, my guys. We absolutely <laughs> can regulate software. So, you know, I, I think that this this paradigm of you want something that is entirely decentralized, entirely stateless, but also safe is very hard to reconcile. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we, we've got so, a few more questions we want to get to with you, State. That's, that's fascinating. I'm so curious. I feel like this is one of those things where, uh, like, what happens here is where I'm on the edge of my seat because <laughs> it's I, and th- tossing popcorn in my mouth while I watch. Um, but yeah, we've got a, a few more questions to get to with you, including we, we want to talk about NFTs. We also want to discuss maybe like uh, crypto and how uh, it, it seems to have religious elements to it going on. We'll, we'll get to those questions right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hey folks, it's Matt. 
I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little Health Aid kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorites so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly, probiotic tea that's good for your gut. It's blended with real fruit juice, and it's super thirst-quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy, and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon, I'll have some. It's super easy, and it's affordable, too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, we're back from the break talking with Stacy Marie Ishmael about cryptocurrencies. And just before the break, you heard it here. Stacy is a proponent for one global organization to regulate all cryptocurrencies. <laughs> 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 ha ha, one ring to rule them all. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It sounds like you've been watching the series as well, Stacy. Uh, on that note, let's talk about religion. <laughs> because, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, a lot of segues here. Uh, like earlier on, like you're kind of talking about this, like sort of like your unified theory as to why it is that folks were sort of latching on to something like crypto. I mean, to that end, like, do you see parallels between cryptocurrencies and, and sort of like fundamentalist religion? Because I feel like the, uh, like the fear, uncertainty, doubt, the mantra out there combined with continued calls for fellow crypto enthusiasts to... To, to hold to keep the faith like that has a lot of these kind of like quasi religious elements uh, which kind of makes this an even weirder asset class oh it's super weird um, one of my colleagues who's on the team in London Emily Nicole she academically studied cults oh. and has a, a kind of a research background in understanding you know what makes people coalesce around either an idea or, or a particularly compelling personality. And it's so interesting to get to benefit from the perspective that she brings to covering this for all of the reasons that you've just described, mm. which is, I, I don't know if I would necessarily go so far as to say it is religious, but it, it, it is certainly a space that is marked by charismatic leaders and by people who are held up as quasi deities, you know, whether it's like you believe in Doge and Elon Musk, or you believe in Jack Dorsey and Bitcoin, or you, perhaps some of your listeners are familiar with something that was called Ohm, <laughs> and was a very interesting set of tokens that relied very heavily on the idea that if nobody ever sells, this can only go up, mm. which is in other parts of financial markets described very differently. <laughs> but this was led by a person who was pseudonymously known as Zeus. Wow. And Zeus would hold these town halls where he wow. would like rally his followers <laughs> who call themselves Omis and talk about the need to keep the faith. Mm. And, you know, all of us have to be in this together. I mean, they're down like 97% since <laughs> the height of the height of those town halls. But there is something about crypto that is very much based in this idea of community, which is very confusing when you think about the fact that it is also explicitly a rejection of trust, mm. right? That this whole thing is supposed to function even if you don't know or trust your counterparty. And yet so many of these kinds of appeals are to identity or to the idea of like tribe or nation and other kind of collective organizing principles. Like crypto people even reinvented companies. They were like, you know, forget LLCs. We can have decentralized autonomous organizations <laughs> because we like, we need a way to make decisions collectively. Uh, so I, I absolutely think that 
I don't know if it's inherent to the asset class or if it's that the kinds of people who are attracted to this tend to manifest in very specific ways. But there are there are very much elements of this that are defined by that appeal to charisma. I'm sure that that unknown identity of Satoshi right has to oh, yeah. has to play a little part in that right the ambiguous nature of who wrote the paper seems, and kind of what, like it came from on high what started like, yeah it's like the tablet's <laughs> coming down from the mountain and you're like all right cool yeah. I, and so that has to be a part of it because if you could just point to a nerdy individual like in their mom's basement you might be like okay cool some of the mystery is lost and yeah. I'm not going to keep the faith in that yeah I mean mythology is really important right it it people love a hero they love villains even more but they do they do love a hero and they do love the idea that somebody out there was like smarter than everyone else and figured something out and then like rode off into some kind of financial sunset mysteriously mm, yeah yeah right, so i want to know too let's talk about nfts for a second cuz this is very much a part of this defi space and and you know obviously we remember when pics of apes and cryptopunks were going for millions and <laughs> digital pet rocks basically were co- hundreds of thousands of dollars and it, it when you think about it though it, it really wasn't that long ago uh, although it looks like art-based nfts have seen this enormous drop in value um but well, yeah what's what's going on in the nft space what do we need to know and is is there a future for nfts what does that look like well i'll start with the the question of is there a future for nfts and an nft fundamentally is just a piece of software it, it it's a way of defining in code rights, obligations, and benefits. And for, you know, say about a year or so, the primary use case of that software was telling somebody, you have the right to be recognized as the owner of this picture of a monkey, which (laughs) is definitely something you could use software for. Sounds goofy, (laughs) though. Sounds goofy. That that seems fine. Um, But there are other things that you can do with that software. And that's where I think, like, we haven't seen anything close to actual use cases. And by use cases, I don't mean, you know, like nobody's doing this. I mean, like widespread utility and usefulness. And, you know, but I've seen people do experiments. They're like, well, we can sell music in the form of an NFT. And that software, that code that defines this transaction can say, you know, if I, Stacy, sell this to you, Matt, and then you sell this to somebody else, I will still get royalties without having to do Mm -hmm. anything. And you don't have to do anything either because that's just encoded into into the contract. It's like the the world's smartest analytic, basically. Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that's, you know, that's, that's really interesting. There are other people who are trying to, design nfts that would allow like portability between video games right so say you have like some really cool bow and arrow set in fortnite but you also play elden ring there's a bunch of assumptions based into this including that fortnite and the makers of elden ring will ever get along but like (laughs) stay with me um so you know assume that video games were interoperable and you could like take that bow and you know that bow and arrow out of fortnite and into elden ring and vice versa like you would do that in the form of software and you would do that in the form of an nft and like those sorts of things where you're sort of taking a step back and imagining the possibilities of software that reacts intelligently to circumstances is I think a much more expansive way of understanding the reality of N- NFTs than apes, but of, but it's also like less profitable immediately. Mm, yeah, <laughs> so. right. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes me think just to early computing and just some of the applications early on. It was a, a lot of it was kind of dumb stuff. Maybe like we've seen today, like with the digital pet rocks and monkeys. And Look, so, Tamagotchis were brilliant. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> My uh, sisters thought so. Yeah, but, but it, it does seem like that there's a lot of future ahead of us when it comes to just the application specifically of blockchain, uh, which, which kind of makes me then want to ask you, how excited should we be about the possibility that blockchain is going to be able to change the future? And A, how likely is that, do you think, to happen? And then B, do you think we can do that without going all in and buying actual cryptocurrencies? Because the underlying technology will solve problems and we don't necessarily have to egg it on with our investing dollars. I mean, that phrase that you used, people have used in like crypto skeptic drinking games, which is like, somebody's going to say underlying technology. <laughs> and We've only said it once, thank goodness. <laughs> So, but this is kind of, this is sort of the challenge, right? Where a lot of those early tech things that you're describing, like some of that turned into pets.com and some of it turned into Apple. And it's very, very hard to predict what direction any of this is going to be used for. Is, you know, is is crypto going to go from like, 
interesting but marginal from a technology perspective to redefining the way that you understand the universe. There are absolutely people, mostly venture capitalists, making extremely significant bets in that direction. But then there's also a ton of people that are like, eh, <laughs> I don't know, we're not sure. And, you know, I think journalists in general are not prone to like wild bouts of enthusiasm <laughs> for, <laughs> for any particular thing but I think what makes this asset pens, class fountain pens, a little yeah. fountain pens <laughs> for sure <laughs> that is like where I channel my enthusiasm um, but I think what makes this asset class interesting to me is the fact that I don't know right it's the fact that sort of every day some utterly chaotic thing happens that makes me think about the the potential both in terms of upside and downside in very different ways Again, this is another thing where I'm going to be on the edge of my seat eating popcorn, like watching how things play out. Cause it for is, the next 10 years. That's likely. right. <laughs> it's a fascinating space. We're going to continue to see yep. developments for sure. And uh, Stacey, Marie Ishmael, we really, really appreciate you joining us today on the podcast. Uh, where can our listeners go to find out more about you and what you're up to? Well, we're all part of the iHeartRadio family. That's so right. the Bloomberg the Bloomberg Crypto Podcast is Monday to Friday. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I am on easily findable on the internet but please do check out the work of my fantastic reporters and editors on bloomberg.com awesome we'll make sure to link to all of that stacy thank you so much for joining us today my pleasure well, all right, Joel, man, what a fun conversation we just had here with Stacy Marie Ishmael. Um, I felt like we were able to, this truly did feel like a conversation we had with a friend. Like, I felt like she was here with us. We're all having a beer together and we were able just to talk about a topic that you and I are very interested in, but simultaneously it's difficult for us to dive, like really dive into it, A, because we're, we don't have the depth of knowledge that someone like yeah. Stacy does. But no, we're, also, we're idiots on this front. <laughs> but also, we don't want to talk about it too much. Um, and that's something I'm afraid. Like, I wonder if we talked about it too much back when it was more hot and folks bought more of it maybe than they should have. Oh, we're but, still talking about it. We're still hating on the folks who are just too enthusiastic. Sure. And I will say, that's we the nice... We try to bring some nuance to yeah, the conversation. That's the nice thing about having a journalist on the show to talk about it who covers it with ridiculous frequency like Stacy, because you're, you're not getting someone who is sold out to this asset class who believes that yeah. cryptocurrency is the future. And, and if we interviewed somebody like that, it would be differ, difficult to temper their enthusiasm it's, and ask yep. them the hard questions. Exactly. But Stacey's like involved talking to all the players in this space. And so I feel like she has a really nuanced, helpful take and just provides a lot of understanding. So now I feel like I understand crypto more now after that combo. Yep. And, and even possibly the future, depending on, I mean, who knows what's actually going to happen, but the possibilities are there. She's not holding her own town halls Right. where she's just launched her own coin. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, let me tell you, uh, you can get in on the ground floor <laughs> of this new, the Stacy coin, <laughs> fountain pen coin. Uh, but yeah, do you have a, do you have a big takeaway from this conversation? Yeah. I, I think my biggest takeaway was when she said that we, we have this misunderstanding of risk when it comes to crypto markets. And I thought that was, I thought that was really smart that oftentimes we're thinking about the risk of like are are the price of the asset going down deploying some capital into the crypto space and then seeing that we have less money six months from now than we had before and that is a real risk right and we've a lot of people have experienced that risk but when i'm thinking about like all of the risks in the crypto space like there are actually a lot more than there are with other traditional asset classes so so not only are you at risk of deeper price cuts you're also you could potentially experience faster gains, right, in the crypto space. But not only are you at risk of, of even deeper price cuts, but you're also at risk of fraud, hacking, scam attempts. Yeah. And so I guess um, I think crypto is, like we said, it's a fascinating space. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to kind of keep your eyes on. Um, but I think with, with the preponderance of nefarious activity <laughs> we've seen in the space, I think your risk appetite has to be pretty strong to be in the crypto game, to have to hold many of your assets in cryptocurrency at the current time. Yeah. And I think I, I thought you were going to go in this direction. Like you were talk, uh, we we're talking about different countries that have adopted cryptocurrencies as their national medium of exchange. And she was talking about how th that volatility that you're talking about, Joel, is what is keeping it from being becoming more widely adopted. Sure. Because people don't like that. I mean, even just with inflation, that is providing some uncertainty within our lives. You see prices rising and dropping. We, no, we don't, as a people, we don't like that kind of uncertainty. There's enough uncertainty that we have in life, let alone the, the mediums of exchange that we're using uh, within our lives. But yeah. if you're trying to use your money as a store of value, as a medium of exchange, if it's up or down by 10% in a given day. It doesn't work well as a store of value if it, it fluctuates yeah. that much. And that's, so that's clearly a hurdle that has to be overcome before it, I think it, before it becomes widely adopted. Uh, so that was a little 
I guess, small addendum to yours, but my big takeaway, she said the phrase that you need to, like in a lot of uh, cryptocurrency circles, how you should be doing your own research. And man, that stood out to me because not only is that true when it comes to a more speculative asset like crypto, but how about everything that we put our money towards uh, within the world of personal finance? So not just cryptocurrencies, but just what it is that you spend your money on from a consumption standpoint, the bank that you choose to leave your money with, where you're expecting it to stay safe, uh, the different kind of investments, whatever company uh, you're thinking about joining with in, in order to earn money, all the different arenas. It's important that we vet, do our own research in all the different uh, arenas within our personal finance life as a whole. Um, because like truly, there, I don't think there should be anything that we just take for granted. I really do think that there should be a higher level of personal responsibility when it comes to what it is that we each do individually with our money. That, that makes me just think that anybody who's listening to this show, even if they've been listening for a long time, and they're like, man, I really think Matt and Joel are spot on on a lot of things. And you're, you might be like, they're idiots on a lot of things, which which, <laughs> which is probably true. But even that, even in that, like take our word with a grain of salt, like listen to us. Hopefully we can provide you valuable information and a helpful way to think about important topics in your life like whatever personal finance conundrum you've got going mm-hmm. on. But we're also fallible human beings. And and it just makes me think of uh, like TikTok and how there's some great people dishing some good advice on TikTok, but there's a lot of bad information out there too. And it's coming at you in these bite-sized bits that are you know a minute or less hmm. in length. And so it's really hard to communicate effectively when we're talking about complicated uh, maneuvers that we might be making with our money. So yeah, I would listen to a, a range of people. I would read books, blogs, yep. po- listen to podcasts. I would kind of run the gamut when I'm getting my information on things. And if you found one guru in the crypto space that you're beholden to, then you're treading on really risky ground at that point. Yeah, that's true. Although I will say, like, there's nothing that we say here on the show that we don't personally do. Although I'm sure those gurus out there say the same thing as right, well. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, this is what I'm doing. Obviously, I believe it. I mean, we... we be- crypto bro <laughs> voice. <laughs> we try to say things that, that only... That are in the best interest of our audience. And that's our goal three days a week, every yep. week. And I think it is important to mention that, to say that that's kind of the, the standard we hold ourselves to. Absolutely. But there are a lot of other people who might say the same thing and then not actually practice it. That's right. Okay, let's get to our amazing beer that you and I enjoyed during this episode, Joel. This is a barrel-aged blended strong ale by our friends over at Monday Night Brewing. This is, this is their anniversary beer, their anniversary ale. They used to call it Thai whatever on, like whatever year it was. So if it was the fifth anniversary, Thai five on. So this one, it doesn't say tie 11 on, but it just has an 11 on there. Made out of neckties, because neckties are kind of their thing. It's kind of like their uh, original original thing was uh, like a young professional individual who was loosening his tie after a hard hard day's work. Essentially, they were trying to like combat the, we're drinking beer on the weekends. It's like, <laughs> no, no, we make sophisticated beers that you enjoy during the week. It's yeah. more about quality than quantity. Punch the clock, leave your work, go get a good beer at the end of the day. Exactly. And this beer is a quality beer. I'll I'll say, so it's a blended strong ale. And the reason it's not a particular style is is because this is truly a mashup of a bunch of different beers. Like, Like they say here, it's a mashup of a stout, quad, brown ale, barley wine ale, doppelbach, there are so many different beers that they've brewed in order to blend together in some of these extra special Amburana wood barrels, I guess, is, oh. is, is what they stuck these things. It's I think like, it's like, like a, a Brazil, Brazil, yeah, Brazilian, a Brazilian uh, okay, barrel. That makes me think of when I was a kid and you would do the suicide, the suicide. of the, <laughs> the soda yeah. And But <laughs> oftentimes that tasted like trash. Uh, but this, <laughs> this one does not because when I hear, because it's funny, I was like, man, this has some quad-like elements. Uh-huh. Oh, this has some barley wine-like elements. I didn't read the label and know yep. that, but I can taste it all coming through. Yeah, it yet wasn't. It works it perfectly. It wasn't like a traditional stout, Russian right. Imperial, or it wasn't just a straight up barley wine. It's just a dark, rich, flavorful ale that also happens to have some vanilla. Uh, but yeah, man, this was a fantastic beer. Often when you're doing that, it takes like a master blender. Blending multiple beers to create a great beer is actually a really difficult thing to do well. And there's a lot of really crappy blended beers out there. But this is a really, really good blended beer that yeah, I, I would like to have more of for sure. Yeah, it's a technique they borrowed from the world of scotch because that's typically that's how you get some of those consistently amazing scotches. Like, you, you know, the Johnny Walker or whatever, you got the different colors. Like each one of those are blends and so you've got single malts which are a single uh, like vintage basically a single year most folks like the consistency that comes with the blend but then there's folks who use that blending technique to create an entirely new product which is the beer that you and i are enjoying today it's like blending on steroids oh yeah absolutely so good 
Agreed. Yeah. Delicious. So that's going to do it for this episode for folks who want show notes, links to anything that, that Stacy mentioned in the interview. We'll, we'll put those up on our website at howtomoney.com. That's right. So Joel, that's going to be it, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.